Hey everybody, Dave Lindbergh with another episode of THD Podcast. Today we have uh, Jeff Hill joining us from the UK to talk about his uh, measurement. I'm going to call him boxes. I don't think he likes that word. He's going to teach us all about what makes that different. Um, enclosure, but enclosure, enclosure. They're, uh, they're like mini anechoic chambers in my rudimentary understanding of audio engineering. But... Before we get into that, let's remind everybody to check out our sponsor, the Alti, the Audio Loudspeaker Technology International. Uh, please hook up with Barry and find out about all the benefits of networking with his organization. They do have an event coming up in Orlando, October 24th, 25th. So check in on that and see if it's something that will help your business. All right. So here we are again. Simon joining from Japan. How's it going today, Simon? Very good. Good evening. Good morning. All right. And Jeff Hill from his Hi. setup in the UK with his brand, yep. brand new microphone. Yeah. <laughs> we had a bit of noise last week. <laughs> so I've got a, uh, I've got a, uh, a cardioid microphone, which should reject any noise. But of course, the neighbors aren't making any noise today. <laughs> okay. All right. So everybody watching, we're recording on a Sunday. So that might help with the... Uh, construction noise in the office here in an industrial building and perhaps the neighbors renovating in the UK. So, um, all right, well, let's, let's get into this. So yeah, this, this was kind of arranged by Mike Clasco. He connected us a while ago and, uh, it took us a while to get on here, but we're on here today. So like I said, from the intro that, uh, it's everybody who's worked in acoustics has at some point stepped into these funny rooms and you close the door and you can't hear yourself clap and these kind of funky things. And it's meant to be an isolation room to do uh, audio measurement. Now, uh, you've got something that can perhaps uh, make that portable or more flexible in, in speaker production, in uh, speaker testing. So maybe give us a preface of a little bit of your background and then tell us about... Uh, the, the these test systems that you uh, test chambers, let's call them, that you built. Exactly, test chambers is the way that I prefer to think of them. Um, I've been and was a loudspeaker uh, designer for many many years, um, and one of the things about designing loudspeakers is inevitably you need to measure it. Um, you need to measure it to confirm that the design that you've thought of and worked on is, first of all, working as you intend it to work um, correctly. And then secondly, once you've got the first initial prototype is built, you've then got to measure them in production and ensure that the production is stable and that the the first one that you make is the same as the hundred thousandth or the millionth or ten millionth. Um, and the default way in the industry of measuring them um, is the anechoic chamber. Well, anechoic chambers, in case people didn't know, were originally a general purpose de design developed by the military um, in the midst of the Second World War, primarily to characterise loud noise sources and also to measure military vehicles in the run-up to D-Day and the invasion of Europe. And they, 
they're designed to handle large objects and be general purpose tools. And they're great as general purpose tools, but as general purpose and measuring loudspeakers like a typical four-inch or five-inch speaker is not the same. You need for production and for ongoing QC or uh, development work, you need to do exactly the same measurement every damn time. Um, and if you don't, you inevitably get variations. And then you're forever chasing down, well, is the measurement right? Is it, is it set up correctly? Has it been connected correctly? And worst of all, um, is the environment affecting it? And anechoic chambers being large and bulky uh, and expensive are rare on the ground. And they tend to get filled up with, pardon my expression, crap. Uh, because people say, well, this is an enormous great thing. It doesn't seem to be doing much for anything uh, most of the time. So they tend to get filled up with junk and they say, well, we can use this corner or that corner and oh, there's okay. a bit of stuff there. So we'll move the measurement around from there over to there. Um, it, it, you end up in all sorts of messes. Um, and so it's just not a good situation. And throughout my career, I've had to put together measurement systems um, for various companies. And when I, um, around about 10 years ago, became independent, one of the things that I was trying to do was to work out where to go. And it came up that another company came to me and said, we need a measurement system. Great. Um, of course, they didn't have sufficient money for an anechoic chamber. Neither did they really want one. They didn't need one, but they did need something that would do the job. Um, and that's how the uh, the impetus for the TTC, a tetrahedral test chamber, came about. Um, so that's a bit about my background and where where the idea came from. And and the the tetrahedral remind us the how many sides to a tetrahedron is that what it comes from tetrahedron tetrahedron exactly okay. it's one of the platonic solids um, and it's got uh, it's the only platonic solid that's got uh, named after Plato that's got four sides um, the pure tetrahedron has is constructed out of four equilateral triangles. Okay. Um, and that's not terribly practical for a loudspeaker um, test chamber. Um, and so I've used a form which is, I forget the exact name of it, but basically it's based on right angle triangles. Um, there is a full name, but I can't remember it, um, which is based around the right angle triangle rather than the equilateral triangle mm -hmm. which makes it a more practical um concept okay um so it's inherently a strong robust structure with many other advantages as well okay um, so is it that the the uh measurement chamber is trying yes. to replicate the effect of an anechoic room 
Both yes and no. Um, I An anarchic room has certain advantages, and one of the things that is designed to do is to absorb all the sound, all, all the sound waves, um, equally at all frequencies. The problem is the low frequencies, none of them, and I do mean none of them, can actually do that. The reason being because of the wavelength of sound, which is 345 meters per second, um, which means that at one kilohertz, you've got a wavelength of about uh, 0.34 of a meter. So half wavelength where you get absorption is about 170 millimeters. That's easy to absorb, no problem. But take the other end of the spectrum and we go down to even just 100 hertz. Now we've got a wavelength of 3.4 meters. And 3.4 meters, half the wavelength of that is around about 1.7 meters. You can just about practically build wedges which are 1.7 meters long, just. You're pushing it, even at that point. You know, you're talking five, nearly six feet long. Much longer than that, you just can't do it. You just cannot absorb those sort of frequencies. Yet alone if you go below 100 hertz, and most speakers um, are required to work down to somewhere in the region, 20 hertz, 30 hertz, 40 hertz, at which point the wavelengths... If you were to take 10 hertz, you've got a 34-meter wavelength. 17-meter wedges? <laughs> I've never seen any any chambers in the world with 17-meter wedges. Uh, this um, this uh, uh, the uh, wedges on the side of an anechoic chamber yep. being half the wavelength. Where's that half wavelength come from? Yep. Is that a, sort of a general guideline for uh, the It's a general, gen, a general guideline for absorption. In order to absorb rather than resonate a wavelength, the because the wavelength sine wave shape comes up and down, the half wavelength is the point where it comes up to there and then back down to the zero. And it's at that wavelength, a wedge that is that long is capable of fully absorbing the um the 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 sound mm. um any shorter than that and you will get um disruptive interference and not as good a uh absorption okay. it, it's just a uh, and that goes for sound it goes for light it goes for all wavelengths if you're going to absorb it you've got to be at least that uh, length in order to be able to do it. There are other tricks you can do, but they they work with with different uh, different physics. Mm. Um, so that becomes a a hard fast rule that virtually any practical anechoic chamber can't measure lower than around about a hundred hertz. Even mm. the biggest ones, they may be very very quiet and get noise levels right down to zero, which may or may not be of importance. I would argue that it's of less importance than many, many uh, of the other things. 
And so that becomes a hard and fast rule that most chambers can't measure much lower than that. One way of doing it is in a, um, a fully reverberant chamber, which can measure lower because you're not trying to absorb it. Great. So in the TCC, we take the, take the point that at low frequencies, we can't absorb it. We know we can't absorb it. Don't even try. Okay. Instead, we absorb the higher frequencies, which we know that we can absorb effectively. And then we deal with the, um, the low frequencies um, via equalization, which with modern test equipment is perfectly, is perfectly easy to do. I can perhaps um, share yeah. with you um, a graph at this point, which may indicate what's going on better. Um, so bear with me a moment. Perhaps if you, if you also have an image of, of what we're talking about, because we haven't, we haven't shown people what it, the conceptually what it is. So let's maybe have a look at one and then, then go to the chart to see what the results okay, are. Okay. All right. Okay. Now this is a TTC 350 and I'm putting a, a baffle on it as you would have for virtually any loudspeaker measurement. Uh, you make those up for every driver. Standard clamp that we put on there um, in order to measure it. We get our connections. Positive, negative, and where we go, we take our connection and we plug it in the back. Nothing untoward, nothing untoward there. Um, now, if I from scratch. And we'll call that the int 50 internal response. We'll do another measurement, which we're just doing it near field. Now we can see there. We're nice and clean and response. And that the response of any drive unit in a closed box is just straight 12 dB rise. That's what they do. That's what theory says it does. So that's what it does. Hmm. I'm just going to put a tiny little bit of smoothing on there just to get rid of the noise. Uh, and that's all. And then we'll say, okay, next, 50. Sorry. I just divide the two. That gives me the... Uh, 
rough EQ. So actually, this red curve is at the uh, is at a microphone on the outside of the chamber. Yep, on the outside of the drive on the outside of the drive unit. Um, it's like quite, a, taking a reference. Yep, yep, and this is only got to be done only got to be done once. Um, I've been playing around with different setups and different instruments and everything else, so someone's got got a bit confused. So we just go from scratch. Um, if I change back to the, the screen. Is the camera gone? Oh, uh, don't worry about that. Um, All finger, all thumbs today. Sorry. Zero. Now all I've done is I've just put that to, to zero. Q three five O. Now, if I take my measurement that I did earlier, which is the internal measurement, and I take the one that I've just produced, which is there. And I divide the two. There we go. And as you can see, we've successfully got rid of all the low frequency rise, all the rubbish, and cleaned up the cleaned up the response and the high frequencies. We've got sufficient absorption in the chamber to be able to measure reliably and cleanly. Um, once it's set up, um, away you go. And you so get can I ask, uh, Jeff, if you were to do a similar measurement uh, into a rectangular box, uh, what would, what differences would you see? You get a horrendous response. In a rectangular box, you typically get a response which is going up and down by 15, 20, 25 dB or more mm -hmm. all over the place. Um the EQ so it, it should be a, like a comb filter effect starting at some, I don't know, mid frequency, something like that, and then just yeah, yeah, um, it's not so much that it's not even often very regular. What I'm doing now is I'm just moving the EQ curve down so we can see it mm -hmm. visually on the screen. Um, and as, it is, as it's coming into sight. Mm. you can see how clean and how straight and how smooth it is. Right. There yep. we are. That's how little correction is required for this chamber. Now, the 350 is extremely good. Um, the bigger chambers have a little bit more variation in them. 
But either way, it's not sufficient to be a problem. Modern instrumentation can take account of that mm. all day, every day, mm. without, blink, without blinking an eyelid. And, um, and, and just... typically, you normally, if you, the variation you'd normally get would be often be from, you know, 30 dB there up to minus 10 or even up to zero or back. Now, if you've got those sort of variations going on there, understanding what the hell's actually happening with the drive unit becomes impossible. Uh, so is it the case that, uh, say, for a uh, rectangular box, you're getting uh, huge peaks and dips? Yes. Yeah, and yes. that's quite a distinct thing from just having this, uh, this cons constant base lift. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so that's one of the advantages that the TTC gives, that we've got a stable response mm. that is increasing. But... Uh, <laughs> it's a pressure response at low frequencies, which means that the data is reliable. And um, we can see on the lower graph here, we're looking at the time, looking at the time thing. And if I zoom in on the time, we can see that the pressure there, we've got a long wavy response there, which is indicating the uh, low frequency response, which we need to take out, which is the rising response on the on the SBL. And if you look at the data, the green data with the actual response there, you can see how quickly that settles down and behaves itself, so mm -hmm. that we can reliably measure to very very low frequencies as well, much lower than mm -hmm. the typical anechoic chamber can measure. So one of the um, wonderful things about the TTC is that in many respects, it can actually do a better job than an anechoic. Mm. And, and also you could actually echo the R&D tool on the production line. And that, absolutely. Because a lot, you know, they just, they just have a jig similar to that, but maybe they don't have the right measurement set up behind yep. it, what's inside the box, so to speak, inside the, yep. the tetrahedral. An, interest, an interesting curve is that here, up to my right, I've got a TTC 900, um, and that's the curve of the 900 versus the, the, the curve of the, of the 350. And if I move them down because they measure they measure at slightly uh, different distances because they are uh, uh, the the physical design uh, and overlay the things, we can see that, that we've got a slightly different response in the base area as we would expect because the three fifty is a smaller chamber and so it gives a bit more of a rise circa about 100 hertz um, and then the response uh, falls falls off whereas they are uh, the 900 we actually get down lower in the response at the very lowest frequencies 
But you can, you, you could, any loudspeaker engineer could take a look at the data sent from either of those two chambers and say, oh, yeah, that's the same speaker. It's just been measured at a slightly larger distance. And so we've got a little bit more resolution at the high frequencies. We can see all those peaks all line up exactly. It's the same drive unit. And it was the same drive unit. Um, in essence, that's what the TTC can bring to the party. Okay. So this uh, tetrahedral shape, that's all about uh, managing standing waves or reflections inside the machine. Man, 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 managing the standing waves, internal reflections. Inherently, you haven't got um, parallel surfaces. So you're discouraging the formation of the standing waves and you're discouraging the, the problems getting started in the first place. And it's generally easier to solve a problem if it's not, if it's not got going than it is to try and solve a problem when it has got going. You know, um, if you're, you know, driving a car and steering and well we prefer to drive a car with a steering which has got ni nice and tight steering that steers in the right line rather than one that's wobbling all over the place it's just easier and so that's um that those uh spikes got 9k and then something i don't know it might be 15 or whatever that's in that's in the breakup region of the drive unit that's actually the driver that's not the chamber that's either the, well no that's the driver that's the driver that's the driver. That's the that's the that's the that's the true response of the the uh, loudspeaker driver. It's slightly different at the higher frequencies there because the three hundred and fifty is measuring at a distance of ten centimeters, yep. whereas the nine hundred is measuring at uh, about three hundred and sixteen. Uh, millimeters. So we've got around about a, a t 10, depending on how you calculate it, 20 dB difference in the levels. Um, and of course, the, uh, the wavelengths at those sort of frequencies mean that you're going to get significant differences in the, in the wave, in the waveform being being produced at those different distances. Mm. Uh, so a lot of manufacturers are, are when they're doing QC on a driver, they're also using a box. Are they using a box? Are they or exactly? Far too many of them are just just using a box, mm. and then they're wondering why why they're not getting um a a good and a, a valid response out of it. Um, my question is, if you were using a box, you would be seeing spikes like you see at 9K, 15K, whatever yep. the number is, uh, elsewhere across the frequency spectrum. You'd have no way to know if that's the driver or the box, is that right? Exactly. Exactly. You've got no way of knowing which is which. Mm. Um, and because everything is all convolved together, you can't separate it out. You don't know whether it's the driver, whether it's the box. It's all happening literally at the same time, you can't even window it out effectively because yeah. the whole thing's happening within half a millisecond yeah. um, uh, of it all. So you've got no way of, uh, of taking it back out. The only way you can take it back out is by designing it out 
yeah. which is what I've tried to do to yeah. say, right, this is a design that doesn't have those problems. Period. Okay. And uh, then let's uh, take the example. If you were to take that uh, driver and measure, measure it in an anechoic room, would you be seeing a curve more or less like that? Oh, yes. Um, I've done this many, many, many times, um, and you get a response like that, often not as good, um, often with, if you're using an anechoic um, chamber and a baffle, you will get uh, discrepancies because the sound bounces off the end of the baffle um, and causes more more problems from that. Um I was curious about one thing. You mind if I ask these? You've got these IEC baffles that are used, and you, you yep. place a speaker sort of off center on that. Yep. Yep. Um, is that does that end up meaning that regardless of what speaker you measure, you always see the same low frequency roll off because that's just the dimension of that baffle? Mm, yes and no. You mm. get you always get a consistent response off of it because of the size of the baffle. And the size of the baffle means that you've got interference, both uh, the the sound being reflected and refracted. Refracted where it comes to an edge and the sound sound comes back and refraction where the the sound goes past an edge and then it's suddenly unsupported, both of which will uh, reflect back to a a microphone and cause interference. Mm. The whole idea of the TTC is because of the design of it is that we haven't got, um, and if you're, are you still, um, if you look over to my, my, can you still see my camera? Yeah. 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 And you can see my finger there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you've got there, you've got a distance to the baffle of perhaps an inch. Whereas up there, you've got three or four inches. So you haven't got a constant anywhere. So you're just not going to get the same interference from the edge of the baffle that's going to cause interferences. Whereas the IEC baffle is inevitably just a, um, a, a square or rectangular panel mm. causes consistent uh, problems. Um, so I've taken account of a lot of things within this design. Um, those are just two of them. And so there's a microphone, a measurement microphone mounted inside that chamber. <clears throat> yep. And put this video and measure that. Is the position of that microphone quite critical? Um, it's not critical per se but if i take that out um can you see that yeah i'll yep. zoom in on it hold on okay yeah sure yeah you can take that out there i've got a jig there and we can just place that on there and now we set the microphone distance using our jig okay and we know exactly where the microphone has been set um and so you can use a jig like that and you can guarantee to set up your chamber the same every time. Yeah. 
And so that uh, microphone position is kind of like a uh, sweet spot where there's no nodes or anti-nodes. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, um, it's designed so that we get the best overall, res uh, best overall response. Uh, very low frequencies, as you can see from the as you could see from the EQ curve, it's extremely stable anyway. And so we haven't got any particular sweet spots that we need to, to watch out for. There's a little bit at the higher, higher frequencies there, but even that's only, in this case, you know, 5 dB or so, which is almost, you know, almost negligible. So do your customers ask you if that chamber can do the standard uh, one watt, one meter IEC baffle SPL sensitivity and can it? Oh, yes, uh, of course it can. What you need to do, though, is you just need to get a sound calibrate. Um, I've got one in here somewhere, um, yeah. uh, but whatever, you're, you're familiar with them. You put that on the end of your microphone and calibrate the level on there. And then you just take um, account of the fact that the microphone, instead of being at one meter, is now at 10 centimeters. And mm -hmm. so we've got, a, we've got an offset on the, the sensitivity that we're, that, that we're measuring at. Um, and we put that into the equation. Yep. Job done. So you can just take the uh, one kilohertz SPL from that box and you just offset it, scale it by whatever yep. scale factor and you're exactly. getting the same. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and away you go, and that's what I do. This piece of software I'm using here tends to normalize everything to zero dB. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm using it because it's a very simple piece of, uh, of software and it doesn't obscure the uh, the details too much. You're interested in curve shape for the most part in this case. Exactly. At the moment, for you guys, I'm just want to keep it as simple and clean as possible, yeah. with as least uh, confusing uh, bits and pieces in there as I can. And uh, how about deriving theo small parameters? Is there's the pop? Is it useful for that? Because a lot of people just use uh, you know on a table put a weight on and take those difference impedances. You could do that using one, using one, using a chamber. Um, another way of doing it, sorry, if I get up for a moment. Yep. Uh, is that, I've got a, uh, just bring this round. So I'm going to cut this apart. I've got a um, acoustic chamber here, mm. which is designed to go onto the back of a speaker. Um, so it gives us a, a defined volume, um, and also will then uh, restrict and stop external noise coming in to the speaker and affecting the measurement there. You could use that on the back of a speaker to define the uh, extra volume, and you can use that to calculate the field small parameters. So then when you take, you take one impedance curve with it loaded in the chamber, no back, and another one with the back on? Exactly, exactly. There's two methods. One is added mass, yeah. and the other one is added volume, um, either of which can work. 
um, and have been proven to work for many, many years. Um, and you could use this to do the, um, the, the same technique. Uh, put that on to the chamber there. And then, yes, you could use that to work out your field small parameters and all the main electro uh, acoustic parameters. You can't get to the uh, large signal parameters um, because they require measurement of the displacement, etc. Um, but the uh, the main parameters, yes. All right. So, and uh, so commercially, let's uh, the if uh, if people are interested, hillacoustics.com is how they get a hold of you. Um, yep. Is there any reference products in the uh, or, or reference uh, factories or any, any kind of customers that you're allowed to mention that people might know? <laughs> is it top uh, secret stuff? Well, there's a lot of companies who've uh, purchased from us. Um, you know, uh, little ones like um, Apple. Um, they bought. They bought. They bought a few. Um, We've got uh, Jabil, um, many, many others. Um, so, so these can be used to, to micro speakers as well, like mobile phones. Yes. And you could, I can imagine the benefit, especially with the consistency and that kind of volume production is, is critical. Um, yes. and those guys are obsessed with measurement and, and QC control. So, Well, one of the things that the TTC... 350, which is this small one there, um, is capable of doing, is measuring at 10 centimetres. And the micro speaker standard, which has just come out, uh, 63034, references measurements which are made on the mini baffle derived from the IEC baffle, um, which is about one meter by about 800 millimeters so considerably smaller than the IC baffle um, but that's only measuring at 10 centimeters which the these chain this chamber can do directly um, and the problem with measurements like that is that the micro speaker is open at both sides and can be interfered with both sides which make the measurements uh, very variable um, from external noise, whereas the 350 can take account of that. Um, and the stability of the measurements are on these are far, far tighter. The 63034 references measurements which expand out to one, one and a half dB at the very lowest, at the very lowest end, whereas typically a TTC will measure consistently to within plus or minus 0.25 of a dB, which is the order of accuracy that most electronics is measured to, yet alone loudspeakers. Loudspeakers, it's all, it's unheard of to be able to measure to plus or minus 0.25 of a dB yeah, consistently. I've got a in-ear monitor project recently, and they they insisted on plus or minus 1.5, or they wouldn't take it. <laughs> and that and that actually in some of the headphone speakers is a challenge to get in production executed. So, well, uh, the TTC will do that consistently. 
it's not it's not a one off. Okay, now can you see now? This is data on a hundred drive units, um, which were measured over the course of day. Um, it's a hundred different speakers, or that's the same speaker. No, hundred, hundred, hundred measurements of the same speaker. Okay, measured over the course of a day, um, and as we can see, we're starting at just over twenty hertz, twenty-five hertz, going up to about eighteen k. Looks like uh, maximum maybe three speakers, mate. <laughs> it looks like no, maximum there's three. <laughs> no, that there, that, that's the minimum curve, the average curve, and the maximum curve. And it uh -huh. is the data from 100 measurements. I can share, I can share the raw data with you. But, you know, because this is not a one-off. I've done this sort of thing. Dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Yeah. Right. Um, and the expanded uncertainty from the minimum, average, and maximum calculate the standard deviation at yeah. each individual frequency and then sum those back to third octave data, which is what I've presented down here. As you can see, the, the biggest, most the biggest cause of variation, there's one little glitch there at about 250. But apart from that, most of the variation is at 30, 40, 50 hertz, i.e. around about drive unit resonance, which yeah. is where you would expect you're going to get some variation in a, in a measurement, certainly over the course of a day you wouldn't expect to get exactly the same measurement. And if you do get exactly the same measurement, some, something's lying to you. Mm. But the total variation even then is 0.15 of a dB, fractionally over. That's how stable measurements in the TTC can be. Yeah, that's crazy. You're uh, 30 to 40 hertz. This is just somebody bumped the table one time. No, it's the drive, it's the drive unit resonance. Okay. And obviously, okay. when you're measuring a speaker at resonance, the whole thing is flopping around and you're not going to get exactly the same yep. measurement every time. It's impossible. You never will. But this is what it's showing. Look. No, we're getting a variation in there, but we're getting exactly the variation that theory would, would say that we should get. Not we're getting plus or minus 3 dB, 5 dB, 10 dB, or whatever. No, we're getting a we're getting a believable variation. Mm -hmm. We're not getting exactly the same data. I'm not covering anything up. Okay. This is what's an all. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this up for the day then. So, um, I think I said a few minutes ago, hillacoustics.com. Um, yeah, how our, people can reach reach you. And our, our sales go through uh, spectral measurement, and um, the way to contact that it's spectral measurement uh, slash chambers. Um.
Anything else you want to know, Simon? I think we might have covered enough for today. No, but I think it's uh, there's there's Was an obvious enough? there's an obvious you? yeah there's an obvious utility for this that I could see, uh, and it it echoes a lot of what I hear in development versus factory measurement. No matter if it's a speaker or if it's a, a circuit board or or even a software development tool or a measurement software, whatever it is, they always want at the brand developments uh, in Europe or U.S. They want their factory to have the identical tools. And the, the concept of having an anechoic in, in Boston, let's say, that is one size, and then their factory in, uh, in you know, like uh, Kunshan or somewhere near Shanghai, they have a different size anechoic, and then, of course, there's something else on the production line. It throws variables into it. So I, I, I know that this is just a, a, a test and measurement kind of theme that people want consistency across all the tools so well the ttc is designed to address that and there's a range of different ttcs from the 350 over the small one through 900s um we've got a larger chamber of the 1500 um currently in use in india um and all of them once they're set up uh will give comparable data between them. So, you know, the R&D department can have, you know, the big boy of the lot, but you could have potentially dozens of the small ones on the end of the production line where they're not, you know, they're all there. All you've got to do is just change over the baffle when you change over a drive unit. Well, you're doing that anyway, almost certainly. Mm. And then you've got consistency, potentially right throughout your design and measurement chain. Perfect. All right. Well, let's uh, let's say goodbye to everybody. So thank you, Jeff, for joining us today. We really appreciate that information. I found it uh, quite interesting. And uh, thanks, Simon, for joining and everybody yeah. watching. Uh, we'll put the links in the description yeah. below for the well, contact I, information. Go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say, um, if I could give a quick plug uh, for my book, uh, loudspeaker um, de modeling and, de and design. Um, anyone who's interested in more of the theory behind the chamber can look in there. There's a uh, a white uh, an early white paper and some theory in there, as long uh, along with further information on designing of uh, loudspeakers and systems. Okay. And uh, I think that the link to buy that's on your website, if I'm not mistaken. So we could put that in the description as well. Uh, it's not, but you Google it and, you, and we'll, you'll, you'll, we'll, you'll find we'll, it anyway. We'll figure, we'll figure I'll, it have out. To, I'll have to sort that out, actually. <laughs> okay. All right. So please like, subscribe, and share this, everybody. So have a great day. Thanks, okay. Thanks, Thank Dave. you very much. Cheers, guys. Bye.